Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you guys here as we are concluding a, a three-part series that we've been in now that we've been calling the Sex Talk. And if you are just joining us, if you are a guest, thanks for being here. We don't do this every week, and so you can be assured of that. Uh, but uh, basically, what we've been doing in this series, just to catch you up, is uh, we've been having this conversation um, that we've been saying is really a conversation that's happening all around us anyway. And so we've been saying, man, we live in a sex-crazed culture. And so as you, could t- as you could just tell with that bumper video that we showed, sex is everywhere. Uh, this is a conversation that's being had around us um, at any given point in many different places. And it's not a settled conversation. Uh, sexuality is loud in our culture. And so you can't escape it. Even if you don't want to enter into the conversation, you're going to find yourself immersed in the topic of sexuality everywhere you go. And so you go to the grocery store, the checkout line there, you're going to find sexual images, sexual messages, sexual topics surrounding you. And and, and you're going to find yourself immersed in that conversation. Uh, When you go on the internet and you go to social media, you go to YouTube or whatever it is, you're going to find that there's sexual topics that pop up in front of you. There's sexual advertising that are going to be there, and you're going to find yourself confronted with the conversation that our culture is having about sexuality. It just seems to be around us in the workplace, at school, wherever you go, this conversation is being had. And so what we've been saying is in this series that uh, what might be surprising to many of us is that God, rather than simply condemning this conversation, which is what many people think that he does, is just condemn it, Um, And rather than simply remaining silent on this conversation, God is eager to enter into this conversation, uh, that his voice might be heard on the issue of sexuality. And the reason we said that is because when you read the Bible, it becomes pretty clear, pretty apparent um, that God talks about sex often. God is not at all resistant to talk about sexuality. In fact, there are some passages of the Bible where God talks about sex very, very explicitly. And so because of that, we said that even though we might be embarrassed to talk about sex, God isn't. And the Bible kind of shows it that way. And because of that, we said, man, God is eager to enter into this conversation and to speak into this area of our lives, the areas of sexuality. And so because of that, in this series, our main kind of heartbeat has been this. We said that what we really want to see is we want to hear God's voice in this conversation, in this topic. We want to gain God's perspective because we've got all these other voices yelling at us. We have all these other messages that we are bombarded with as it relates to sexuality. We don't want to lose the voice of God in the midst of it. And so for that reason, that's been our kind of our ambition and our aim is we said, man, we want to hear from God. We want to see his perspective on this issue of sexuality, kind of invite that in to this area of our lives. And so for that reason, um, as we've been doing uh, in the past couple of weeks, why don't we just begin with a word of prayer and let's talk to God and ask him again that he would help us to hear his voice. So let's do that this morning. If you want to join me, we can pray. Well, God, we want to uh, want to hear from you. And we want to we want to see what your perspective is on this issue of sexuality. And Lord, I know that for many of us, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of hurt, frustration, um, regret, uh, and a lot of ambiguity around this topic. And and God, with all the voices that we are being bombarded with, we don't want to lose yours. So we invite you to, to speak to us, God. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us courage, and give us faith, God. And so I pray that, uh, that, that, you would, uh, that you would be with all of us, God. Synchronize our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, like I said, if you missed the past couple of weeks, it would do you well to go check those out and kind of catch up because the past couple of weeks in this series, we have really laid a lot of uh, groundwork, a lot of foundation. And so if you, if you have just, just kind of joining us today and you didn't listen to the last two messages, I'd encourage you to go onto our website or you can get our uh, Grace Church app and you can either watch those or listen to those or subscribe, subscribe to our podcast and check that out. But as I said, we laid a lot of foundation and I believe that today is probably going to seem incomplete if you weren't with us for the past couple of weeks. But for the sake of our conversation, let me just do a quick recap of what we have been saying uh, over the past couple of weeks. So uh, the first week that we were together, we made a very, very simple, but a very, very profound point. And that's this, that God created sex. That was our starting place. And we went back to Genesis chapter two, where sex and marriage were invented by God, created by God. And we said, man, God created sex. And even though that seems so simple, we said the implications of that are just unbelievably profound. And so we we talked about that. We said, because God created sex, that means a few things. It means sex was God's idea. That sex was not some accident, that sex was not the product of human rebellion or sinfulness, as some people might believe, but sex was God's idea. He invented it. He knows it feels good. He's not embarrassed about it. God loves it because it was his idea. Okay, so we started there and we said, man, the fact that God created sex really points to some pretty profound realities. The second thing we said is this, because God created sex, that means that sex is good. Sex is good. And we said that in Genesis 2, when God created sex, it was in a pre-sin world. And we said that everything that God created, he created with the original intention to be good in his eyes. And so that means sex is good. And so the official position of Grace Church is that we love sex. And, and, and I love sex. And sex is awesome. We think it's good. We don't think it's bad. And many people think that Christians have a low view of sex. And we said, no, 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 no. Christians have a very, very high view of sex. We think sex is awesome. We think it's from God. We think it's God's idea. God made it. He likes it. So we kind of talked about all that. And we also said this, we said, because God created sex, that means that sex has a design and sex has a purpose. If you think about it, if God is the one who created sex, that means that as the creative initiative behind sex, God had a meaning in mind. He had an intention and a purpose of what sexuality was to accomplish. And so we said, because of that, the primary question that we should concern ourselves with then is not so much, um, how should I use my sex? That's really not the question we should concern ourselves with. The question we should really concern ourselves with is how did God create me to use my sex? He's the creator of it and he's the designer of it. And so I need to find out what did God mean uh, when he made sex? So that was the first week. We kind of just talked about that, laid some groundwork. Last week, if you were here, we, we went a little deeper and we talked about the meaning of sex. And if you were with us, we said something crazy. We said this, we said that sex is not just from God, Sex is about God, that the meaning of sex is to reveal to us a mystery about God. And we said that might sound really wild and crazy for some of us, but basically we said the Bible tells us that sexuality and marriage is intended to reveal to us something about Jesus Christ and the church, that it's a window into divine realities. And so we unpacked that a little bit. So here's what we said last week. We said that sex reveals Christ and the church, God's love for us. It reveals the covenant love of Christ in the church. And sex is intended the way that God has designed it. We talked about this for the last couple of weeks, that God intended sex to be inside of a committed relationship between one man and one woman that we call marriage. And we said, that's God's, that's God's design for sex. That's God's intent for sex. And we said, and why is that? 
It's because sex is supposed to explain to us something about Christ and his love for the church and the covenant love that he has for us. And so we talked about that last week. We also said this. We said that sex is to reveal the self-giving love of Christ in the church. And we talked about how God in his design made sexuality to be something that's not primarily about self-gratification or self-expression, though it does include those things. We said sex, according to God, is primarily about self-donation, that I'm, I'm giving myself selflessly to another person in a committed marital relationship. And then we, we talked about this last thing. We said that sex, strangely enough, reveals to us the fruitfulness of Christ through the church. And we said, one of the crazy things about sex is that even our anatomy, our biology, the way that God has made man and woman physically communicates something about God. And we talked about that. That might sound crazy to you. We talked about that last week. And and if all of that sounds weird to you and kind of abstract, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to the last couple of weeks because we unpack those ideas in great detail. But you might remember at the end of our conversation last week, we said this, we said, that's awesome. This is God's design for sex. It's a beautiful design. Sex is an awesome thing. God created it. This is how he made it. This is how he wants it to be. We said, but there's a problem. The problem is this, that every single one of us has strayed away from the design that God desires for us in our sexuality. The way the Bible would put it is this, because of our sin, we are all born at odds to what God designs and desires for us sexually. And so because of that, there's many of us that said, okay, well, there's God's picture for sex, but I'm telling you, we're nowhere close to that. And we're all the way over here. And the question we said is, how do we get from here to here where God wants us to be with our sex? How do we bridge that gap? Because we said, man, for a lot of us, as we've been talking about this conversation, it's rustled up some stuff, man. And there's been past hurts and there's been past regrets and there's been trauma and there's been these these shameful things inside of us that we're reminded of sexually when we have this conversation. We said for some of us right now, we're struggling sexually. Last week I said, man, in this room, there's people who I guarantee are struggling with chronic masturbation and pornography usage. There's some of you in the room today who are currently in extramarital relationships and you're in an inappropriate sexual relationship with another person that's not your spouse. There's some who are engaged in continual premarital sex in some way that goes against what we talked about as God's design. There's some in this room right now who are struggling with same-sex attraction. Some of you have never admitted it, have never acted on it. Some of you have. We said, man, that exists here, right? So the question is, how do we get from here? All of us, every one of us, in one way or another, we strayed away from God's desire for us sexually. So how do we get from where we are to where God wants us to be? And so last week, I ended the time by saying, I want you to come back next week, and I want you to bring your baggage. And I said, not physically. I don't actually want you to bring your ex-husband with you. But I said, I want you to bring in your baggage, bring in your regret, bring in the shame, bring in the stuff in the past you haven't told anyone about that you've been living with that's been haunting you, bring in your current sexual struggles, bring them in here with you because I want to tell you about how God wants to make you free. I want to talk about the pathway to sexual liberation that God has for you and that God desires for me. So today we're going to talk about sexual liberation. Now I know when I say sexual liberation, that hits a hot button in our culture because we live in a culture today where this topic is one that is brought up often, sexual freedom, sexual liberation. And what we found is that we live in a culture right now that defines sexual liberation in a very um, diametrically opposed way than the Bible does. It's so our culture tells us that the way to sexual freedom is basically 
unrestrained self-expression. Do whatever you want with whomever you want, however you feel, whenever you feel. That's the key to sexual liberation in our culture. And so if you have a desire sexually, you go after it. If there's a particular way that you like sex, you just have it that way. And it doesn't really matter. The only restrictions we tend to put out in our culture is that it has to be consensual and it can't be with a child. Those are the only two prohibitions we put on it. Outside of that, we say sexual liberation is found in sexual exploration. Go after it. Unrestrained sexual, um, sexual expression. And in fact, our culture pushes on this so, so strongly that whenever someone comes up and says, well, wait a minute, I think that there's a design to this thing. And I think that maybe there, there's a, a meaning behind sex. And I think that maybe there's some things we need to consider that oftentimes when we say that, for those of us who follow Jesus, we come across people think we're narrow, judgmental, condemning. Some people would even say that we're prejudiced because of that. How dare you tell me I was made this way. If I have these desires, that's the way I am. And, and so let me be me and you be you. And how dare you tell me what I should do with my sexuality. So our culture tells us that sexual liberty is found an unrestrained self-exploration with our sex. But what the Bible's gonna tell us is that the pathway of sexual liberation that our culture propagates doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to slavery. It leads to further bondage and it limits human flourishing. And so God's gonna come in and say, there's a different path to sexual liberation. And that's what I'm gonna talk about with us this morning. Now, before we get into this, I do need to give you just a quick warning. I got some good news and I got some bad news about this conversation. Uh, here's the good news, okay? The good news is God wants every single one of us to be free sexually. He, he wants you to, and listen, he can make you free. He can do this, okay? God can make you free. Now, some of you need to hear that because for some of you, because of your sexual past or because of the current sexual struggle that you have right now, you're convinced that God just wants to condemn you. And I'm telling you, that's not the case, okay? This is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of liberation. God wants you to be free, all right? And so for some of you, you need to hear that. Some of you right now, you have resigned yourself to, to, uh, to defeat. And you've been struggling with some sexual sin over and over again habitually. And for some of you, it's been years. For some of you, it's been decades. And you haven't found any victory. And you're like, I just give up. There's no hope for me. I'm just going to have to live with this thing for the rest of my life, and I'm just never going to be free. Let me just tell you, don't think that, okay? Because God can make you free, and he wants to make you free. That's the good news. The good news is this is not a message of condemnation. It's a message of liberation. Now, here's the hard news, and I say hard because it's not bad news. It's just difficult. The hard news is this, that the pathway to sexual liberation that God desires for you the liberation that God wants for you is found on the far side of a faith decision, all right? You need, to, for some of you today, I'm gonna talk about some stuff. It's gonna sound extreme. It's gonna sound difficult. It's gonna sound unrealistic. But I'm just telling you that if you wanna experience liberation that God wants for you, it's gonna take a radical step of faith. And for some of you, it's gonna frighten you. It's gonna take courage, okay? But God wants you to be free and he can accomplish this in your life, all right? So, so here's what we're gonna do. The rest of our time, I wanna talk about three principles that the Bible gives us on the pathway to sexual liberation. Three principles. Now, let me just tell you, these are super, super, super practical. You can do these today, all right? So three principles of sexual liberation. And then after that, I'm gonna give us one challenge and then we're finished. That's our time, 
All right, so let's talk through these three principles, very biblical principles, on the pathway to sexual liberation. Here's the first one. I call the first one the flea principle. The flea principle. Um, where does that come from? Well, it actually comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's found in a few places in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is probably the premier passage, though. Let's take a look at it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, this is a powerful, powerful verse. Let me give you a little bit of the context because it helps you understand the power of it. So basically, in this letter, the Apostle Paul is writing to a place called uh, Corinth, the city of Corinth. And he's writing to a church of people that are in the city of Corinth. Now, in, in ancient history, it tells us that Corinth was a very, very popular city, big city. It was racially diverse. It was economically diverse. Um, it was socially diverse. And it was a big city. But the number one thing that the city of Corinth was known for, the characteristic that, that the city of Corinth was most identified with, was sexuality. Corinth was the sex town. And the reason it was known for that is because there was a temple that sat in the center of the city where sexual practices would happen. And so as a matter of fact, I'll show you a picture. You can go to ancient Turkey today and you can look at this. This is where uh, ancient Corinth was, modern day Turkey. Um, this is the temple of Aphrodite, or at least what remains of it. And basically what they did in this culture is they would worship the goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love. They would go to the temple and they would engage in sexual practices with temple prostitutes. So these temple prostitutes would have been young boys, young girls, some 12, 13 years old, who would be sold into temple prostitution. And whenever you went to go worship Aphrodite, you would go into the temple and you would engage in sex acts with these temple prostitutes. And in Corinth, this was normal, this was legal, and nobody had an issue with it. They were just like, yeah, that's just regular. And this gained a reputation for these guys. In fact, the, the Corinthians were so sexualized that other uh, cities around them would use the term Corinth or Corinthian to talk about sexual matters. So if you said, hey, that's a, man, she's a Corinthian girl. What she meant is, yeah, she's promiscuous, man. That's what, that's what she meant. If you said, yeah, I got some Corinthian business to do. That was an innuendo for, I'm going to go have sex, right? And some of you guys, you need to practice that on your wife sometime. be kind of fun. Like, you want to do some Corinthian business tonight or what's going on and whatever. So, but anyway, that was, that was a euphemism. It was a, a term that they would use to talk about that, right? So what happened was the Apostle Paul comes into this place. He preaches the gospel, tells them about the love and the hope of Jesus. A bunch of people come to know Jesus. They start a church in Corinth. So here sits a church in this sexually crazed culture, very, very similar to our circumstance. And as you can imagine, what happened was a lot of these Christians started reverting back to these sexual practices of their culture. They went back to prostitution, temple prostitution, and, and they would justify it with this little, they had this little slogan. And when you read 1 Corinthians, you'll see it. But what the Corinthians would say is this. They'd say, it's not a problem if we have sex, not a big deal, not a big deal if we just go have sex with prostitutes and those type of things. And this was their slogan. They said, because food's for the stomach and stomach's for the food. That was their little statement that they had. Food's for the stomach and stomach's for the food. And what did that mean? Well, basically what they're saying is sex is just an appetite, right? If I'm hungry, I eat. If I want to have sex, I have sex. It's not a big deal. It's biological. So you could just hit it and quit it. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. No emotional, sentimental, you know, there's no attachment to this at all. And that's what sex was for these people. Does that sound familiar? That's a lot of the same rationale that we see in our culture today. Well, the apostle Paul comes to these guys and he says, no, 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 no. This is not just physical. 
There's so much more to this than you can imagine. We've talked about this in the weeks previous, but I want you to look back at verse 18 again. Look at what Paul says here. Flee from sexual immorality. Check this out. This is wild. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And did you guys catch what Paul just said there? Check this out. Paul says, all sins are bad. All sins are against God's desires for us. All sins are, are obstructions to human flourishing, every sin. But then Paul goes, sexual sin, man. That's, that is categorically different. It is entirely separate from every other sin. And, and, and the Apostle Paul, what he's saying here is not sexual sin is unforgivable. What he's saying is not sexual sin is particularly worse than other sins. What he's saying is it's different. Sexual sin is in its own category. It affects us like no other sin does. That's what the Apostle Paul says. The way he puts it in this passage is he says, all other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And some people are like, what exactly does that mean? And I'll tell you, commentators have different opinions on what that means. In fact, we don't really know for certain because the Apostle Paul doesn't elaborate. But I think what the Apostle Paul is saying is something that all of us know, either intuitively or experientially. And that's this, that sexual sin damages like no other sin. That sex outside of God's design has the power to destroy in ways that other sins don't. And we know this, either intuitively or experientially. My guess is, for many of you, when you think about the moment you regret the most, the biggest regrets you have in life, they probably are tied to something sexual. For some of you, when you think about your deepest childhood wounds, many of us, those are sexual things that either happened to us or happened in a situation. And if we think back to it, it's even hard for us to think about, right? My guess is for some of us, listen, sex has unbelievably deep damaging power. There's been more marriages broken. There's been more divorce. There's been more children enslaved, more women enslaved, more lying, more cheating, more stealing that's been done around sex outside of God's design than any other sin. Why is that? It's uniquely different. It's categorically different. And so the apostle Paul says, because of that, it's not just physical. Paul says, flee, get away from sexual immorality. Now notice the apostle Paul doesn't say flee from sex. No, no, no. We should run towards God's design for sex. Sex is awesome and sex is good the way that God made it. But he says flee from sexual immorality, which is sex outside of God's design. He says, get out of there. Now I know that this point for some of you sounds very obvious, right? It doesn't seem obvious like, hey, sexual immorality is, is dangerous. So, get, don't, so don't mess with it. You're like, well, yeah, that just seems like an obvious thing to say. And I, I don't mean to insult your intelligence at all, but let me just tell you the reason that I think this is an important point to mention that we should flee from sexual immorality is because when I talk to people who are struggling sexually with sexual addiction or with, with some kind of sexual dysfunction, oftentimes when I suggest this, hey, you know what? Did you think about maybe fleeing? A lot of times they're like, I never thought of that. Never even crossed my mind. So I'll give you an example. I talk to a lot of guys, and, uh, and uh, not a lot of girls, but I know that, that girls do as well, but I talk to a lot of guys who struggle with pornography, right? And a lot of times I'll talk to them and they'll say, hey, you know, when I, I notice that whenever I come home alone at this time, I'm just like so tempted. And I just, it seems like that's my, this part, after this time of night, 
I just, I, I'm so tempted. And my, my, my question is always, well, is there, is there somewhere else you can go? Well, yeah. So why don't you leave? And they're like, I never thought of that. And I'm like, yeah, 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 you can, you can go. You can flee, because the Apostle Paul says, flee, right? You're home alone and you're experiencing temptation. You don't have to sit in that. Get up and go, right? Look, the longer you hang out at a barbershop, you're gonna get a haircut, right? Get out of the barbershop. Go somewhere, go to Starbucks. Go take a cold shower. Go somewhere else, right? You don't have to stay there. This is what Solomon tells his son in the book of Proverbs. He says, hey, son, you know that, you know that street where the, the, the immoral woman lives? You know, remember that street? And he's like, yeah. He's like, don't go down that street. Don't, don't walk down that road, man. Get out of there. You can flee. For some of you right now, you're in a dating relationship or you're engaged and you find that when you're with your, your girlfriend or boyfriend or you're, you're with your, your future spouse and you're sitting down that, and, and you're alone and you find that, man, you find yourself in that place where things start heating up, you know, and then you start to get that temptation. Listen, you can flee, right? You can leave. Go home, go to bed, not the same bed, right? Go, go to different beds, go somewhere else. I, I've, told this, I've told this story before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. Um, when Jess and I were first started dating, we, we started dating and then we got pretty serious and then we got engaged. And as the natural progression happened, as you can imagine, our physical desire for each other just grew. The, the, we, were just, we were just in love and we're passionate, right? And so obviously this became a temptation for us. It became a problem for us, was trying to find sexual purity in our relationship. And I remember um, it got to a point where we said, you know what, because uh, I was working and she was working. And then a lot of times we'd spend time late at night. That was when we would hang out most of the time. And it got to the point where we had to make some rules. And I was like, look, we can't, we can't stay up together past 11 o'clock PM alone anymore. And that worked for like a day. And then we had to change it to 10 o'clock and then to nine o'clock and then to eight o'clock. And then finally we just said, you know what? We have to flee. We have to flee. And so we, we made this new rule. We said, okay, here's the deal. We cannot be alone at your house. We cannot be alone at my apartment. And whenever we want to be together at nighttime, we're just going to have to go to IHOP. And I was like, because there is no way humanly possible that I'm going to struggle sexually at IHOP. And, and so we would go to IHOP and we would buy all-you-can-eat pancakes and sexual purity for a very low price. And it was fantastic. But I'm just saying, you don't have to stay there. This doesn't, it doesn't, this sounds obvious, but it, it, I'm just telling you, you can flee. Get out of there, right? Some of you right now, you need to flee a place. Some of you need to flee a circumstance. Some of you need to flee a person. Some of you right now at work or at the gym or on the internet, you are flirting with an affair and you know it, you know you are. There's an opportunity, there, there's, a, there's a conversation, there's an old Facebook friend. Maybe you've gotten onto the Ashley Madison thing. I don't know what it is, but there's something there. And listen, can I just tell you that if that is you in this room, I believe that God has brought you here this morning because he wants to tell you this, flee, run, get out, all right? Because you think it's going to lead to gratification and fulfillment, and it's not. It's going to lead to slavery and destruction, and your heavenly father doesn't want that for you. And so you need to flee. Some of you are like, yeah, but I work with that person. I see them all the time. Ask to be reassigned to a different project. 
Some of you are like, yeah, but I see that person at the gym. I, they're always there. Get a different membership at a different gym, right? Some of you are like, yeah, but I don't, I, if, I, if I do that, if I say something, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to, we're, we're, we're friends, right? We can just be friends. Is that, isn't that fine? We can just be friends. And, 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 and I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to seem weird. And I don't want to, listen, can I just give you some advice? Hurt their feelings, all right? Be weird. Doesn't matter. It, it, be free. Flee from this. I don't understand how sometimes we get to a place where we, the question that we find ourselves asking is how close to the line of destruction can we get? It's the wrong question, man. If what the Apostle Paul is telling us that on the other side of this line is regret and hurt and deeper pain than any other sin can give you, why would we say, well, then how close can we get to that? The question, Paul says, no, no, you need to get, how far can I get from that? I need to flee. I need to get out. And so for some of you, you need to flee. All right, that's the first principle. Here's the second one. And I'll go quickly on these ones. Here's the second one. The amputation principle. The amputation principle. Now, before you guys freak out, (laughs) it's not what I mean. All right, let me give you the passage and I'll give you the principle. Here it is. The amputation. Matthew 5. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. This is Jesus speaking. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin and to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Now, now again, some of you are like, you know, I've read this passage before and I really have a hard time with this. I struggle with this and and I understand it because it seems very, very, very extreme. But let me just tell you what Jesus is doing in this passage is he is employing a rabbinic style of teaching where he utilizes exaggeration to make a point. And what's his point? Here's his point. If something causes you to sin over and over again sexually, which by the way, that's the context. He's talking about sex here. If something causes you to stumble over and over again sexually, he says, you need to maybe consider cutting something out. Maybe you need to maim yourself, which means that you need to limit your freedom in one area of your life so that you can gain freedom in this area of your life to purposefully inconvenience yourself so that you can have freedom here. Jesus says, man, if something's causing you to sin over and over again and you've tried to flee, but you keep going back, maybe you need to amputate. That's what he's saying in this passage. Now, some of you are like, practically speaking, what does that look like? Well, let me just give you a few practical examples of what this could look like. I'll talk about pornography again because it's so uh, pervasive in our culture. So, so I'll just give you an example here. If you're a person who struggles habitually with porn, it just becomes an ongoing cycle for you. And you've been in this pattern for a long time and you go back and you go back and you go back and you want to stop and it just seems like you can't, right? Jesus says, if your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. Maybe for you, there's something you've got to cut off, man. What's your problem? For some of you, it's like, man, my computer's the issue. My, my phone is the issue. These things are, be, are presenting themselves as a continual problem to me. Okay, well, can you cut it out? Maybe start here. How about this? I tell, I tell this to guys all the time. Put some filters on your computer. There's phenomenal free internet filtration systems. Things like X3 Watch, things like Safe Eyes, things like Covenant Eyes, things like Canine Safe Search Browser. There's a bunch of them. I'm sure you can find them. If you want resources, I'd be glad to give them to you. But you can put those on your computer, put a filter on there, give the password to your spouse, give the password to a friend, a trusted friend who loves you and loves Jesus, and then cut it off. 
And now listen, I know what some of you guys are thinking because I've had this conversation many times. Some of you guys are like, yeah, but I don't want to do that because, you know, if I put a thing on my computer, then that means that, like, if I want to go to ESPN and check my fantasy football stuff, that that might get blocked. And I really can't afford to do that because I really love my fantasy football. And so I'm not going to do that. And by the, by the way, I'm an adult, right? And so this is for kids. And I'm a grown-up. You know, I'm an adult. I went to college. So I don't need this stuff, right? I'll just get over it. And let me just say, if, that, if that's your mentality in it, okay, well, let me ask you a question. How's that working for you? Because last week you said it was going to be different. And the week before that you said it was going to be different. And last year you said it was going to be different. And Ten years ago you said not, never again, never again. Okay, listen, it's not working. Right? And for some of you, you need to say, I am willing to inconvenience myself in this area of my life so I can gain freedom in this area of my life. It's this idea of radical amputation. For some of you, you need to amputate relationships. There is a sexually unhealthy relationship in your life right now. You need to cut it out. You need to, to delete a contact in your phone, right? You need to unfriend somebody on Facebook. You need to cut something out. For some of you, you, you physically need to go home and get rid of something. I don't know what, but there's, there's something that's causing you to stumble and you need to cut it out. Cut it, just amputate it out of your life. Inconvenience yourself for the sake of it. Listen, for some of you right now, you're, you're in the dating world and you're in this pattern that you just can't break. And the pattern is you date somebody and then you, you, you try really, really hard, but then you end up sleeping together and then you break up and then you date someone else and you end up sleeping together and then you do it again and you do it again. You've been in this pattern for as long as you can remember and you just can't seem to break that cycle. Listen, listen, this is gonna sound crazy. What if you amputated? What if you said, you know what? I'm gonna cut out dating and for a whole year, for a whole year, I'm not going to date anybody. I'm going to focus on my relationship with God. Like Marvin Gaye said, I'm going to try to get some sexual healing, right? But I'm not going to try to find it the way Marvin Gaye said, because that's not biblical. But I want to I find sexual healing. I need to get to a place where I have, I'm satisfied in Jesus. What if you made that decision? I'm, I'm going I'm to do this. Cut it out. For some of you right now, you're, you are um, dating someone or you're engaged and you're currently living together with that person. And, you, and you've made a decision that you want to honor God with your sex. And so you and, you and that person that you're engaged to, you're dating, you're struggling with this right now. Hey, hey listen, this is going to sound wild. What if you moved out? What if you said, you know what? I'm going to go live over here. You live here until we get married because we want to, I told you guys, I told you before, God wants us to be free, but it's on the far side of a decision of faith. This takes faith. This takes courage. To say, I believe that what God wants for me is better than what I'm experiencing right now. What if you moved out? And listen, I just want to say this real quick. If you're engaged and you're living together, and I know that it presents all kinds of complexities of what are we going to do and financially and blah, 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 blah. Listen, I just, I, I just want to let you know, I'm, at, I'm saying this not because there's, you know, we just want to inconvenience you. I'm saying this to you because honestly, I believe God wants you to be free. And I believe that if you make a decision to say, you know what? Because of our faith in God, we are going to do this because we want to honor God. God blesses faith. He just does. And I'm telling you, you want to make an awesome investment in your marriage, start off with a massive faith decision to trust God. And God will bless that. God blesses those things. So, so here we have it. The first one is to flee. The second one is to amputate, the amputation principle. Here's the third one, maybe the hardest. It's the light, the light principle. 
You're like, what do you mean by the light principle? Okay, I'll give you a couple verses here. Here's the first one. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. It's James 5. Here's another one, 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that God's pathway to the freedom that he desires for us, the healing that he desires for us sexually, the liberty that he wants for us is found in confession that getting things out of the dark and bringing them into the light. God says that this is a healing process and not just confessing it to God, which of course is important, but God already knows, but confessing it to another person. That's why James says in this passage, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. Now listen, I know that for some of you, that just terrifies you. But I know that in this room, there are things lying in the shadows that you have not told anyone about. There are addictions, there are relationships. For some of you, there was an affair in the past and you never told your spouse about it. And it's sitting there and there's stuff that's in the shadows and you're wondering why you can't find freedom sexually. And I'm telling you, when it sits in the dark, it festers in the dark and you are not free. We, we lie to ourselves. We tell ourselves, if I keep it in the dark, then I'm free. But the Bible says, no, you're not. If you keep it in the dark, you're a slave and you will be as you're only as strong as your secrets. And when it comes out, listen, the moment it comes out, you are walking the pathway to liberty and liberation sexually that God wants for you. And I could tell you this, not just because I've seen it. I could tell you this from experience. And let me just tell you the sexual mistakes that I've had in my past. I have found unbelievable freedom because of this principle of confessing it to another person and saying, I am struggling, I am failing, and I can't do it alone. I haven't told anyone and I need you to pray for me. I need your help, right? Unbelievable. The moment you make that decision, you are walking the road of liberation that God wants for you. You are on the pathway of sexual freedom that God wants for you. And so for some of you, you need to confess. Now, some of you are like, well, well that's, that sounds really, really hard and really, really scary. How am I supposed to do that? Who am I supposed to confess to? Am I supposed to like come to you? Like, do you have a box with a screen and I confess to you? Is that what we need to do? And that's, that's, not, that's not really the biblical picture. The biblical picture is to confess it to another person who loves Jesus and follows Jesus that you trust that will pray for you. And so if you're a person right now and you're struggling with something, how about this? Here, here's an easy first step for you. Not easy, but a simple first step for you. Find someone that you love and that you trust, that you know loves Jesus and loves you and will pray for you and tell them, I haven't told anyone this. I struggle with this. I got this addiction. I have this attraction. I got this problem. Would you, would you join me, pray with me, help me? I'm telling you, get it out of the dark because as long as it's in the dark, you're not gonna find the healing that God desires for you. For some of you, if you don't have that friendship, I would encourage you, man, get connected to a life group, build relationships, connect with someone that way. In the meantime, if you want to talk to someone, our staff is available. We'd be glad to be there for you. Not that there's anything magical about us at all. 
But I'm just saying, this is a, a pathway that God wants for freedom. For some of you, you need to confess to your spouse. You need to tell them about what's been going on, about the addiction, about the affair that happened that they don't know about. And I know that's terrifying. And in your mind, you think to yourself, if that happens, everything is ruined. Everything is ruined. And I, I'm not telling you that if, if you confess, that means everything's going to be great. But what I am saying is, as long as it's in the dark, you're not going to find the freedom that God desires for you. You have to confess. The light principle. So here we have it. We have the flea principle, the amputate principle, and the light principle. Let me say one more thing and a challenge. I know this is heavy stuff, you guys. I just know this is heavy. I can feel the weight of it right now. But I feel like I have to say this one last thing because if I don't, if we just ended now and I just said, all right, guys, that's it. Those are your three principles. Now go do that and have a good day and be happy and just stay away from sex. All right, good. All right, good. You know, If I just ended there, I feel like I'd be setting you up for frustration and I'd be setting you up for exhaustion. And, and here's what I mean by that. The flea principle, the amputate principle, the light principle are all good things biblical things, awesome things to put in your life, okay? But you need to know this, that sexual sin is not the issue. Sexual sin is a symptom of the real issue. There's something deeper behind this. There's something that's more foundational and more core to all of what we're talking about today. So if I just told you, okay, that, that's it, just go flee and, uh, and go you know, amputate and then go confess stuff and then you're good, it'd be like me giving you a Tylenol when you have cancer. It might subside the symptoms for a little while, but it's not gonna deal with the root issue of what is actually behind sexual immorality. What is the root issue behind this? What is really driving it? And I'll tell you what I think it is. I think Jesus told us. It's actually a phenomenal passage in John chapter four. Some of you might be familiar with it. Very famous passage. Jesus is speaking with a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well. And uh, some of you might know the story. The Samaritan woman um, was, uh, was a considered probably like the lowest class citizen imaginable. She was a Samaritan, which was the wrong race at that time. She was a woman, which was the wrong gender at that time. And on top of all of that, she was promiscuous. So she was considered an outcast. And so she was surprised when she's sitting by the well when Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, a respectable man, comes and begins talking to her, begins a conversation. And they get in this conversation and what do they start talking about? Water. And Jesus says to her, I got some water for you so you'll never be thirsty again. She doesn't know what he's talking about. And so she's like, that sounds really great, this magical water, I'll have some. And Jesus says to her, the craziest thing. Do you guys remember this? Jesus does the wildest thing. He brings up her sex life. He says to her, hey, where's your husband at? She goes, probably quickly, because she doesn't want to talk about it. She's like, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, you know, you're right about that. You've actually had five husbands, and the man that you're with right now is not your husband. And, and what is Jesus doing? What is he doing here? He's talking about water that you're never going to thirst. And she's like, I'll have some. And he's like, let's talk about your sex life. Why does Jesus do that? Here's why. Jesus is trying to show her you are thirsty. You're a thirsty person. And you're, you're craving something and you're desiring something. And you keep going back to these men because you think that in them, you're going to find fulfillment and validity 
and validation and acceptance. You think that in them, you're going to find what fulfills you. But every single time you pursue that relationship, it leaves you dry, it leaves you hurt, and it leaves you with regret. And so Jesus doesn't look at this woman and say, well, you know what you should do? You should probably flee and you should probably amputate and then you should probably confess and then you're going to be good. He doesn't say that. Not that those are bad things. They're secondary things. Jesus says, no, let's deal with the root of the problem. Here's the root of the problem. You're thirsty. There's something that you're trying to fill and you're running to a cheap substitute to fulfill it. And then Jesus tells her, I'm the living water. I am the joy of man's desire. I am what your heart is longing for and you don't even know it. He says to her, I'm the living water, man. You come to me and you're never going to thirst again. Listen, you need to understand that behind sexual immorality, the real key is not to discipline yourself harder and to try more, which don't get me wrong. This is a battle. Bible, the Bible is very clear on this. This is a battle, all right? But the Bible says if you don't deal with this issue, the core issue, that Jesus Christ is the thing that you ultimately are trying to satisfy in your sexuality. If you don't find that, then you're never going to find freedom in this. It begins with finding your satisfaction and fulfillment and acceptance in Jesus. The desire to be accepted, the desire to be validated, the desire for intimacy, the desire for something beautiful to, to pursue you rather than reject you, Those are good desires. But Jesus says they're satisfied in me, not in some cheap substitute. Don't look to the created thing to give you what only the creator can give you, which is this freedom. It's found in Christ. And so if you're struggling with porn, the real issue is, yeah, flee. Yeah, amputate. Yeah, confess. But you need to continually grow in your love of Jesus because the goal is that one day you want him more than you want that. If you're struggling relationally, sexually, you're running around sexual relationships, amputate, flee, yes, confess, absolutely. But the goal is that, man, Jesus should be the, the, true, pressure, the, tr- the, 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 the true precious treasure of my heart that I delight in more than anything else. We have to grow in that. That's the core foundational problem that we see. Okay, so let me give you one challenge. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and we'll close our time out. One challenge, we're finished. For everyone in the room, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to make a decision, all right? And here's what I mean by that. In your programs, you have a card. looks like this. It says, my decision, and there's a thing for the date. Pull that out. Uh, here's what I want you to do with this, okay? This is, let me just tell you what this is not. This is not for us, okay? So this isn't for the staff. This, isn't, this is for you. This is personal, all right? So I don't want this. I don't want to see this. It's not my business. It's your business. But here's what I want to challenge you to do with this, okay? Today, if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, I want you to take action on that. Because here's what I know is going to happen. If God is working in your heart right now about an issue that's happening in your life, if there's something that you need to get into the light, if there's an action step you need to take, what's going to happen is you're going to walk out of here and you're going to get lunch. And then within that period of time, the enemy is going to come and he's going to distract you and he's going to convince you that you don't need to do anything different. And so the book of Hebrews says this, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If God is calling you to something, for some of you, you need to make a decision today. 
And I don't know what your decision is. I don't know what your issue is. I don't know what that is. But for some of you, you say, I need to make a decision. For some of you right now, write the date and say no dating for a year. I'm doing that, man. I'm going for it. I'm, 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 I'm going to pursue For some of you right now, you need to make, put a date down there and say, you know what? I'm saving sex till marriage. And even though I've had some mistakes in the past, from this day forward, I'm running towards God's design for sex, man. That liberation is yours. God wants that for you, right? For some of you, you need to confess it to somebody. For someone, you need to amputate. So I don't know what it is. For some of you, you need to say, you know what my decision is? I'm going to embrace Christ. I, I've been investigating Jesus. I'm making a decision, man. I'm following Christ because he is the living water. Nothing else satisfies. But for some of you, you just need to make a decision. And so let me encourage you, if God is working in your heart, take this piece of paper, it's yours, put it in your Bible, put it somewhere private, but something that you can refer back to and say, that day I put a stake in the ground and I said, I am deciding in faith. I am making a faith decision to embrace God's plan of sexual liberation for me. God wants you to be free. He can make you free. But it's on the far side of a faith decision. For some of you, this is hard. I get it. But God wants you to be free. Let's pray. Lord, this is not an easy message by any stretch of the imagination, but it's an unbelievably important one. Father, I think about, uh, think about Pharaoh's army and the Israelites held in Egyptian captivity and how you sent a deliverer and you said to let their people go. Father, we don't live in Egyptian captivity. We don't have Pharaoh as an evil tyrant ruler over us. But the truth is, God, that as it relates to sexuality, many people are enslaved right now. So God, I wanna pray that you'd let your people go. Let us go. Give us faith. Give us courage. This confidence, God, we need it. Oh, God, we need it. So, God, I pray that you would bring us to a place where we realize this is not condemnation. This is liberation. That's what you want for us, God. And so, please, we, we, we invite you into this area of our life, and we ask you to do your transformational work. So, Father, make us free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.